Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Some years ago, I had the privilege to visit First Baptist Church in Orlando, Florida. It's a large church at that time. They were running about 7,000 in their weekend services. I had heard about the church. Actually, a friend of mine said, if you're ever in Orlando on a weekend, you've, you must visit that church. So I was, I was especially looking forward that day to hearing Pastor Jim Henry. But it was not to happen on that day. But what did happen on that Sunday had a profound effect on me. The service centered around a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And the worship leaders and the band led us through a series of songs and hymns and choruses, mostly contemplative types of songs. And as we worshiped, an artist came on the stage and worked with brushes. Some of the brushes were the size that you'd paint a house with. And, and he worked on three canvases on the stage, one in the center and two and one on each side. And he began with the center canvas by, by printing in bold black letters, all my sin. And, and then he proceeded to paint the face of Christ, beaten and scourged and bloodied, his head hanging in obvious pain. It was a powerful scene, but the most powerful God moment for me in that service, the moment that for me was a moment of grace freshly realized, the moment that took me back to the cross was when he dipped his brush in blood red paint and covered all my sin. And suddenly, all those years ago, and still it's like it was today, and suddenly for me, I had a fresh realization of the significance of the cross. It just swept over me. For a moment there, I was right back at the cross. So my question is this morning, have you been to the cross lately? I hope you've already been there this morning as we sang those songs, powerful songs about the cross. We need to go there often, you know, not just on Good Friday and not just when we celebrate Holy Communion. We, you, see, you see, the universal symbol of Christianity is a cross. It's not a manger. Could have been, I suppose. The symbol for Christianity is a babe in a manger. But you see, the main event of Christianity is not God becoming a man. That's not it. And I suppose the, the symbol for Christianity could have been a scroll. But no, because the main event of Christianity is not the wonderful things that Jesus taught. And then I suppose that it could have, the, the symbol for Christianity could have been a, a towel and a basin. 
But then again, no, because the main event of Christianity is not his wonderful works and the way he served. The symbol of Christianity is a cross, reminding us, reminding us all that what happened there is the main event of Christianity, reminding us, too, that we need to go there often and remember what happened there and why it happened. That's why we place, you see them, as you drive from here this morning, you'll see crosses on steeples of churches. You'll see crosses on church signs. You'll see them, you see them on walls of church sanctuaries. Maybe you have one on your Bible cover. Maybe you having, have one hanging from your rearview mirror. Some of you have one on a lapel pen, perhaps on a cross around your neck. Why is that? It's because the cross is central to our faith. It's our reminder that we must never take our eyes off the cross. As I was preparing late Friday afternoon, going through what I was planning to share with you this morning once more, I checked my Twitter account. And Pastor Max Lucado, about four o'clock on Friday afternoon, I received this tweet. It's wonderful how God helps me prepare and brings me things I didn't realize were coming. And here's what he tweeted. Being religious without knowing the cross is like owning a Mercedes with no motor. Pretty package, but where's the power? And then he just ended by saying, look to the cross. And the truth is, we must never take our eyes off the cross. Never. And that's exactly what these foolish Galatians did. Now, that's not me calling them foolish Galatians. That's the word in the scripture. I'm taking you now to Galatians chapter 3, letter of Paul to the church at Galatia. Those foolish Galatians obviously got their eyes off the cross. It got them in trouble, thus necessitating this strongly worded letter from Paul the Apostle And now I'm reading to you, and the words are on the screen. Please follow along. Here's what Paul writes. Sense the emotion in his words. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? You see it there? Paul is saying, you foolish Galatians, has has someone tricked you? Do you not remember why Christ died on the cross? And he's urging them to take another look. What's the problem here then? The Galatians have taken their eyes off the cross, and thus they had forgotten some very vital things, and they had sort of slipped into what I would call stinking thinking. 
And so Paul says, it's like Paul saying, hello, is anybody home there? And then he asks a series of questions. Now, the answers to these questions are obvious, and Paul is using these questions as reminders because you see, when you take your eyes off the cross, three things happen. That's what I want to share with you. Here's the first. Here's the danger. When you take your eyes off the cross, you forget how you got in. We're inclined to forget how it was that we became a believer in the first place. And so Paul is saying, did you get into the family of God? He's saying, did you get in, did you become a Christian? He's saying, were you saved by performing some ritual or by believing in Jesus Christ? He's saying to them, so did you become a believer by works or was it by faith? He's saying, did you become a believer? Did you earn it or was it a gift? Was it deserved by you or was it truly a grace thing? And just like those foolish Galatians, we all say, come on, you're with me on this. We all say, we, we know if we've been around a while, we say, well, yes, you become a believer uh, by believing in Christ. It's, it's by faith. It's a gift. It's totally grace. We know the answer, but hear me. We know it in our head. We know it in our head, but it's when we look at the cross that we truly remember how we got in. And it's at the cross, it's only at the cross, that we see the awfulness of our sin and we see the holiness of God. And we see the impossible gap that exists between us and a holy God and not one thing that we could ever do about it. It, it, might, as well, it might as well have been a 10 kilometer gap and us with 10 meters of rope. It's hopeless. And the cross is what God did about it when he sent his son on that cross. He bridged the gap between sinful us and a holy God. And it's when we look at the cross that we truly remember how it is that we got in. I was out visiting one evening. This was pre-COVID days. Isn't it wonderful that in about eight days, COVID's going to be forever gone. I'm believing that, aren't you? Isn't that an awesome thing? Yes, it is. Well, this was pre-COVID days, and I was out visiting when I met Fred. He was a good man. Fred was a kind man. Fred was a generous man. He was a good husband. He was a good father. He owned his own business. He was honest in all his dealings. He had a great reputation across the area. And as I spoke with Fred, Fred admitted he sincerely thought that the gap... The gap between us and God, it, it, ought to be, it ought to be narrower. It ought to be crossable for upright, decent, moral citizens. I went back to Fred's house. I don't know how many nights I went back over several months. And in many conversations, I had to get Fred to the cross for him to see and understand that only, only Jesus, only the cross makes it possible for any of us ever to get in. Only the cross. Only the cross makes it possible for us to ever be accepted by God. Only the cross 
makes it possible for us to cross over from death to life. Only the cross can bridge this impossible gap between us and God. And we all need to go back to the cross because when we take our eyes off the cross, we're inclined to forget how we, get, how we got in. This past fall, I watched the Netflix series on Ted Bundy. Do you know the name? Many of you do. It was hard to watch, but I watched it. He was one of the most horrifying serial killers of the 20th century. He reigned terror across the United States all through the 1970s. He brutally murdered as many as 36 young women. Some say it was much higher. He confessed to 28 of those murders before he was executed in the electric chair on January the 24th, 1989. But did you know this about Ted Bundy? In the days before he was executed, Dr. James Dobson, you remember him, still living, but he's an old man now, a focus on the family fame, went to spend time with Bundy. He spent several hours. Dobson told Bundy that Christ died for his sins. Dobson told Bundy he could be forgiven. Dobson told Bundy that he could get in if he would turn from his sin and repent. Now, it's unclear whether Bundy ever did respond, whether Bundy ever did get in or not. But what I remember, I was pastoring back then, what I remember is what I would call the mild outrage in the media that doctor, this Dr. Dobson from Focus on the Family would, would visit Bundy and tell him that if he asked, God would forgive even him. But even more troubling than the media's response back then was what I recall was the discomfort inside the church with the thought of Ted Bundy's possible deathbed repentance. I had Christian people say to me, could it, could it be so easy for Ted Bundy? Just like that, all his sin blotted out by the blood of Jesus? I had people say th things to me, like, surely, for the likes of Ted Bundy, the gap is wider. For people like him, Surely the gap is unfathomable. Surely there's no hope for a man like that. Now hear me. To the extent that we entertain such thoughts, we have the same problem the Galatians had. You hearing me? You only need to look at the cross to realize that we're all in the same boat. Sorry, no exceptions. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Ted Bundy, you, me, we're all in the same boat. The cross is one size fits all. We're all sinners. 
all totally without hope, and we all get in the same way. Do you see it? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So when you take your eyes off the cross, we're inclined to forget how we got in. Here's the second reason now that we need to keep our eyes on the cross. Here it is. Think with me. Follow my logic. When we take our eyes off the cross, we're inclined to think that we can become holy through our own effort. And I take you right back to the word, verses 3 and 4. Four, Paul says it so plainly. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Paul is saying, wake up, Galatians. You got in by grace, through faith, not by works. So now you're going to revert to the works thing. Now you somehow think that you can become holy by your own effort. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's foolishness. In my conversations with seekers through the years, I occasionally hear something like this. Pastor John, if I, if I, if I did become a Christian, I, I don't think I could live it. And in part, my response always includes words like these. No, well, of course you can't. Not on your own. But what you don't realize is this. When you come to Christ in repentance and faith, he comes and lives inside of you by his spirit, and you have help on board. And he enables us to handle attitudes and habits and hurts that you could never handle on your own. He enables us to love people we could never love. He enables us to love people we don't even like. And together, you and God can do things that you could never do alone. You just relax and let him live through you. Now, I say that to people who do not believe. But Paul is speaking here to people who do believe. He's speaking to those here in whom the Spirit does dwell. And yet he's talking to believers who obviously struggle and strive. They, they strain to do the impossible by their own effort to please God to be holy. Struggling and straining. My son Brock is a Baptist pastor in Moncton. When he was a little boy, I was the one who taught him how to play ball. That's probably why he was such a great ball player growing up. <laughs> he was six or seven, maybe five, when I taught him to play in the backyard. And do you know how I did that? Well, you know, you dads and moms and grandparents did the same thing with your child. I put my arms around him and my hands over his hands on the bat and my feet beside his feet. And I would say things, now, Brock, just relax. Now, Brock, just relax. Don't struggle. And together, we'll do this as, as your mom pitches the ball in here. And, and now, Brock, just relax, and we'll do this together. And together, we did things that he could never do alone. Are you seeing the picture? The way this living the Christian life works is that we're to, we're to relax and allow God's Spirit who already lives in us to provide the power to do, to live the way we should. Let me ask you, anyone here have the Galatian problem? 
Anyone here traveling the way of the furrowed brow? I know from experience what that's like. Always feeling like I'm coming up short. Always feeling like God must be disgusted with me. God doesn't even do disgust. Look to the cross. He did it all. When Jesus on the cross said it's finished, he didn't just mean that now your name's written in the book of life and you get to go to heaven someday. What he meant was, he he meant that his ongoing indwelling spirit in you, his never give up spirit lives in you and helps you. And so Paul writes and says, are you trying to obtain your goal by human effort? Effort, Have you suffered so much for nothing? He suffered for you. He died and rose on the third day. And that resurrection power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave, that same power is available for you in your everyday living. Isn't that an amazing thing? Relax. And let him control you and fill you. So when you, take off, when you take your eyes off the cross, we're inclined to forget how we got in. We're inclined to think somehow that we can become holy by our own effort. And here's the third and last this morning. Here it is. When we get our eyes off the cross, we're inclined to think that God rewards our good behavior by answering our prayers. Now, some of you are going to struggle with this. You just follow me. This is what he says. I'm not making this up. Verse 5, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? There it is. The answer is obvious, isn't it? Do you think you can earn God's favors? That's what Paul's saying. Do you think that God operates like this? Like how? Like this. God's saying, keep my rules. And for that reason, I'll respond to the prayers that you pray and give you what you ask. Do you think this is a hymn? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. What's the name? Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town. Now hear me. I'm not going to bash Santa Claus this morning. <laughs> but hear me. Some people have got Santa Claus mixed up with God. Some people think it's Santa Claus who gives gifts. If you're good and because you're good. And you don't get nothing unless you deserve it. And hear me, that's not grace and that's not God. You getting this? That thief on the cross, beside Jesus, never would have gotten any help from Santa Claus. He had no time to be good. He was out of time. No hope. But because he believed, and only because he believed, Jesus answered his prayer, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Paul says, foolish Galatians, does God work miracles among you because you observe the law 
The answer is not there. Why not? Because it's so obvious. No. No, no. 39 years ago, I moved to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia to pastor a small church there in Yarmouth town, about 60 people. And there was a man in the church, his name was Clayton. He was a good man. He was a very good friend. And in the early years there, he served as, I'm missing some, but I know I've got these six right at least, as a board member. He was a chair of that board. He was a Sunday school superintendent and he taught Sunday school and drove the bus and did the custodial work in the church. Not because he wanted all the jobs, there just was no one else to do it. And then about four and a half years later, Clayton developed an inoperable brain tumor. And we did what the scripture said. We gathered around Clayton. We anointed him with oil according to James chapter 5. And prayed for the Lord to heal him. In my Galatian-like thinking, I prayed a prayer like this one. Father, please heal Clayton. Father, he has served you. Follow my logic. He served you. And your church all these years. He's been so faithful. So loyal. He's been... There's been no one in this church, Lord, that's been more help to me than Clayton. Will you heal him? And three months later, Clayton died. Yeah, I did. I asked why. So my question for us all to consider is, didn't Clayton deserve to be healed? And the answer is a no. 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 Back to the scripture. Does God heal? Does God answer our prayers because we deserve such a positive response? The answer is obviously no. Does God reward good behavior by answering our prayers? No. Now we ask, of course, and we need to ask, and I'm still asking. We ask in faith as we should, and in his wisdom and in his grace, he answers sometimes as we want, sometimes as we've asked. But because we deserve it, no. So, when I look at the cross, I remember how I got in. All grace, nothing earned, not one thing. And when I look at the cross... I realize the only hope for me to become like Jesus is to allow him to change me from the inside out. That's how it works. And when I look at the cross, I realize I don't deserve one single favor from his hand. Deserve, no. Deserve doesn't even come into it at all. Nothing do I deserve. And I see it all so clearly when I look at the cross. So, have you been to the cross lately? Have you come there with me this morning? Anyone here this morning want to get in? What a good time this would be. There are going to be those over here on my right that would pray with you. 
you could get in by simply praying a prayer like this one, Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you bridged the gap between sinful me and holy you. Please forgive me. I place my trust in Jesus Christ just now, this moment. March the 6th, 2022 will be the day I claim as the day I got in. Thank you for saving me. Anyone here this morning, maybe you've forgotten how you got in? Anyone here in this crowd this morning, any believer here traveling the way of the furrowed brow like I did through my teens and 20s and well into my 30s? Always feeling like I gotta, oughta. I gotta pray more, read more, attend more church, be better, think pure. Anyone here, would you just like to stop the compulsion to be good enough? Anyone here in this crowd, maybe just a little bit put out with God? for not answering some prayer that you prayed in faith believing. And anyone here, I hope everyone here, just want to express your gratitude to the Father for what he did for us at the cross. I'm going to pray a short prayer. This prayer will end the service, but there will be those over here. Some of you, maybe you need to talk to somebody for a few minutes. Maybe you got in today. I encourage you, you need to tell someone the Bible says, with the heart we believe, but with the mouth confession is made. You need to tell someone if this is your day. But this prayer, we'll close the service with this prayer. Father, thank you for the cross. And when I think that God, that you, your son not sparing, you sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, but I'm doing better. Now, thank you for taking me to the cross this morning. Father, thank you. What a great, awesome God you are. Thank you for this free gift of salvation. Nothing in us ever could deserve what you have done. And yet you pour out your grace, unmerited favor. I guess that's why it's called grace. We can't ever deserve it. Thank you, Father. Take us to the cross today. Take us to the cross often, we pray. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.